Jerry Hutch, whatever else he is, he's he's innocent until proven guilty of, of in, in this case, but, you know, he is known as a master criminal and a very wily character, a very intelligent, trusts few and kept his inner circle very close. It's amazing that Dowdall is in that inner circle, isn't it, before his brother? I'm Nicola Talent, and you're listening to Crime World, a podcast about criminals, drugs and the sins of the underworld in Ireland and across the globe. The final hour of bugged conversations between Jerry the Monk Hutch and Jonathan Dowdall were played to the special criminal court this morning as the prosecution and defence now embark on their arguments about the admissibility of the evidence. Today, I'm talking with journalist Eamon Dillon about the chats centred around Sinn Féin and the dissidents who the pair claim are idolised for their beliefs. We talk about the mindset of the monk as he discusses the expanse of the Kinnahan organisation and the possibility of a peace process overseen by paramilitaries. This is Crime World, a podcast from sundayworld.com. Eamon, you slipped into the court this morning for the last three quarters of an hour, we were told it was going to be, of these tapes. Um, what of interest came out of them during that time? It's, it's quite the it's quite the surreal experience, I have to say. I haven't seen, a, like all the years I've spent in court, I haven't actually seen you know, a transcript of a recording being put up on screen as it's been played. But having said that, you know, it's, it's kind of two fellas talking in a car, you know, relatively naturally. So there's a lot of pauses and sometimes it's hard to hear. And, and there's quick kind of statico kind of firing back and forth of questions. And obviously, Jerry Hutch a couple of times had things on his mind when there was a silence and Jonathan Dowdle would say something. His first reply would be, oh, what, what? Yeah. And it was just kind of, you know, to get back into the groove. But I, I suppose the, the, the biggest takeaway, I like the, it was about, it was about an hour left in it. And I suppose the, the kind of main thing, like we got Jerry Hutch's thoughts on the Kinahan gang, um, you know, uh, uh, and very much said, look, it's not about the money with them. You know, it's all to do with, with gaining power. And, you know, he, he was kind of very much, you know, it's, it's, it's just the bleeding power was one of the exact quotes. They want to be the biggest gang in Europe so that all the Columbians would come to them. So, you, you know, he has an understanding of where they were going. Like, you know, like Jonathan Dowdle had asked him, he, he was saying to him, like, you know, why did the, the, the Kinnahans get so big? You know, two brothers and a dad, like, how did they get so big? And Jerry Hutch kind of, you know, replies, well, they used the best of the young fellas. And, and, kind of, and I suppose in a kind of a backhanded compliment says, you know, Daniel was wide enough that when they started getting, you know, money in, they were investing it wisely and, and basically increased their millions. So, you know, it's a little bit of a, I suppose, a backhanded compliment there to Daniel Kinnahan. But he also, he's happy to point out some of their mistakes as well. Um, he, was, he was talking about the, the burn funeral. Like he, he kind of commented, you know, the, the murder that he's on trial for, Dave Burns. So this would have been a month before. Like this recording was made in March 2016 in the SUV owned by Jonathan Dowdle and they've been up to Strabane at three o'clock that day and they were now at this stage I'm listening it's now kind of half ten at night and they're going through the toll gate there on the, the M3 I think at one stage or the M1 whichever one they went through and and they're uh, they're, they're, they're having a, you know just a general chit chat but he was he was just saying like uh, the, the, the burn funeral really showed them up for who they were as far as he's concerned I mean he, you know it really showed what they fucking are is the exact quote um and you know, I suppose that we we do remember it, like you know, like the mm. whole cavalcade and the uniform suits and ties. So, 
I, I think he can see how that played into, you know, he was showing, a, a, I suppose, a bit of political new in that sense that he has a good sense of that's not the kind of thing you do to, a, you know, if you want to keep the, the guards away from you, you don't go around the place having a, a parade like that. And so I think he was he was quite happy with that. And, you know, Johnson Dowdle like chips in saying, you know, it's like they had a good business and it was their own, it was their own paranoia and power mongering that ruined it and suggested that if he was into that game, he wouldn't deal with them now. He wouldn't deal with them now. And that people he does know have walked away from them. They won't, they won't deal with them. Mm. Isn't it interesting that understanding he has of the bigger kind of Kinahan organisation? I mean, 2016, that would have been um, around the time. I mean, it wasn't until 2017 that the DEA were on them and they were sitting at a table at Daniel Kinahan's wedding with the, uh, the you know, the power brokers of cocaine in Europe. So he was aware of that, the monk at that point. And yet it seems to me there was a certain naivety in a way to him that, you know, hindsight's a great thing, obviously. And he was in a very bad place back then in March 2016. But the idea that they could be tamed, the Kinahan mob could be tamed by a bunch of provos, um, you know, not being totally dismissive, obviously, of the paramilitary organisations. But, um, you know, did it seem likely even then, I'm trying to put myself back to 2016, would it have seemed likely that the IRA or, you know, paramilitaries could have tamed the Kinahans or were we were we not aware of how big a kind of a monster they were then? I, I think for people of our generation who remember the troubles, you know, the IRA would have had that reputation and there would have been, you know, it would have sent, you know, a shiver down the spine of any drug dealer or any kind of criminal estate knowing that, you know, to, to use, not in the sense of successful, as in I agree with them, but the most successful terrorist organization in Western Europe at that time would now suddenly ha- had your number. And, you know, you would do what you were told. I mean, they were, they were you know, a fearsome paramilitary force. So, you know, I, I, to some extent where they, I don't know, hoping that their, that their reputation would allow them to fill the space of an honest broker between them and the Kinahans and that somehow that they would be able to do a deal. I mean, there was even one suggestion, um, and uh, from what we can gather, he, he, they were referring to one of the Kinahans asking, will, will they meet him, referring to a, you know, a top paramilitary, and that this is, yeah, he'd probably go to England and meet him in somewhere like London. So at that point, they did, they, he, they, the two of them, both Dowdle and, and Hodge, did seem to think that a deal was possible and that it would be done through... Um, one of the, you know, one of the old IRA factions or, you know, one of one of the, the paramilitary factions on the basis that, you know, he, they kind of had done about, he had done them a lot of favours over the years and he was kind of cashing in. You, you, t- you touched, there was more of that yesterday really than today. Mm. So, but like it does, you know. It, so was that kind of like, were they the first drug gang? Because what we know now was the Kinahans were way bigger than the provos or what was left of them and the paramilitaries in Ireland. They certainly weren't going to be done down by them or told what to do. They weren't going to be tamed by them. Um, and so was that maybe a tipping point for the paramilitaries as, y- you know, from a power point of view where they sat at that point? Was that the moment that all of a sudden they sort of were tipped off their top spot in the criminal ladder? Yeah, I, yeah. There's there's definitely something to that, but I have to say, in some of the stuff that Jerry Hutcher was recorded as saying, or the person that is to be alleged as Jerry Hutcher was recorded as saying, mm. like he was, you know, as you said, like you know, he seemed to have a wider understanding, and he was coming back from this meeting in Straban, and he was saying, you know, 
you know what's in it for them to some extent like in, in not so many words but he was he was he, i think he did have his finger on the bigger picture in a sense like as you already mentioned that you know he had an understanding of how they were going to work it with the colombians and even possibly he sensed how weak the dissident republicans were and like he's kind of ruminating at one point with jonathan dowdle and and he, he's more or less you know wondering he says you know he says you would know with them you know they could be playing both sides and Dowdle was very much, no, no, there's no way they're going to do that. I know for a fact they won't. I bet my life in it. Mm. And he said, they'd fuck up too many people, Jared, if they did that. So, like, he, he, he was, like, buying it, like, hook, line and sinker, that there was no way that people that they were looking to try and help broker a deal could turn it to their own advantage. But Jerry Hutch had the smarts, I think, to realise that it might necessarily be, what you know, what you're going to get when, when you're speaking uh, to these people. You might necessarily be get going to get what you're going to promise and he, he comes back to it later they move into other discussions about you know phone encryption and stuff like that and then he comes back to it and uh and and, and john Donald is getting look just put this out of your head because you know he's very much this isn't going to happen you know Mm. I mean, Dowdall, the same guy who years later is standing uh, or will be standing as a witness for the state against him. Uh, one of the quotes I just took down uh, yesterday was when he was driving back to Dublin. Sorry. And by the way, all your three quarters of an hour is recorded in the South then, is it? Uh, I, th- I think it is. I, it I, must I, be. Yeah. 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 I, I would say it is because yeah. if it is the last 45 minutes, I mean, they would have been whatever point they, they crossed On the border. On their way they're back. Not, yeah. They're not, they're not going to necessarily make it that fast. Certainly mm. not by the suggestions that considering that Jerry was complaining how Jonathan Daddle was driving in the recording the day before. So he's certainly not going to make it back to Dublin in 45 minutes. No, what I was going to say to you was that when they were, and I think in my bit yesterday, they were all, they were in the north for all of it, but they're talking about, um, Dowdall is sort of saying to Hutch, they're, they're headed for home. And he's sort of saying to him, will you be okay? And he's saying to him, uh, you know, are you going into the house on your own? He must be staying somewhere out near that pub. And where he collected him and he says he is and sure he'd be grand and, and Hutch is, is pretty, um, he's pretty calm about it, even though, you know, they've discussed how there's a million euro bounty on his head and how they all are going to have to look over their shoulders for the rest of their lives. But Dowdall says to him, you know, I'm in this with you until the bleeding death. And I just, you know, it was just one of those quotes I kind of went, well, until the state came looking for you to become a witness, you were in it, not until the bleeding death. You know, you're listening to this and you realise that this guy has betrayed him too. Yeah. It's it's funny enough in that um, one part of the discussion they had was about um, spoofers, people pretending that they were well connected to the provost. Uh, and, and this goes, like, it, there's actually, there's one part where Jonathan Dowdle is, it sounds like he's boring Jerry Hutch about his whole theory of the Republican movement and his general replies are mm-mm like this. And Jonathan Gowdle keeps talking about, you know, how they revere all these ex-provosts as gods and so on. Um, and then then he, Jonathan Dowdle brings up, he says, yeah, you remember Dugek and the time they threw a 14-year-old down a rubbish chute? And this is obviously part of, you know, a vigilante group. And he says, do you remember that? And uh, Jerry Hutch says, no. And then Dowdle is more or less saying, well, I don't know how true it is. And Jerry comes back with, you know, Dugek, Dugek's name gets thrown around everywhere. Um, and then he says, Duck was some spoofer. He actually comes out and says, you know, and then they, they were talking about other people or possibly Duck Egg as well. And they were talking about people like who were never in the IRA and, and people who believe their own lies. Um, so, you know, it, it was a, I suppose he, he could have been talking about himself really and or he could have been talking about Jonathan Dowdle, I think, in that regard, you know. 
And Duck Egg, of course, was his friend who stood beside him at Eddie Hutch's funeral. There was some commentary between him and Jonathan yesterday in relation to the photograph that was taken that showed showed Duck Egg with him. And uh, I think Duck Egg's partner as well is in the photograph. But uh, Duck Egg, of course, was murdered uh, in December of 2017, 2018. Um, 17, I think he was murdered on the doorstep of his home. He was actually in his car with his partner and died in her arms. He was murdered because he was Jerry Hutch's friend. Yeah, I, I mean, at, look, I mean, at that stage, I, I don't think they realise how bad it's going to get. I mean, no. it is only a month. I mean, like, like his, 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 his brother, Eddie Hutch, has been, has been killed. And, you know, that there's, I suppose, some of the stuff that, that came out yesterday where he's talking about the heartache that, you know, killing causes, that, you know, he, he kind of has a, a proper sense and has absorbed, you know, where this is going. And, you know, and they were talking about being able to, you know, you know, shoot relatives of other people who are connected to the Kinnahans. I think there was reference to a relation of John Cunningham yesterday. Mm. So I, I think he, I think he kind of, I, th- I think he, yeah, I, th- I think he kind of realised that, you know, that th- this could go very badly wrong for everybody. But definitely there is that sense that they don't, they definitely, I mean, who could have known? I'm just Googling here while I'm talking to you when Michael Barr was shot and that was the 25th of April um, at the Sunset House pub because, of course, he would have had links to paramilitaries in the north who, associates of whom, you know, Hutch would have been meeting and who would have probably been at the table in this supposed peace deal. Um, you'd wonder if that if that hope for peace continued until his murder. Yeah, I, I mean, look, I mean, you did touch on it yesterday, I think, yourself and Niall, when, you know, it very much looked like the dissident Republicans were just, the, you know, they'd, they'd go to work for whoever was going to pay. Mm. Um, I, you know, and, and, and the idea that, I suppose the doubts were, were seeping into Jerry Hutch's head at that stage. I mean, they had to be like, you know, who could he necessarily trust? Um, I mean, he, he was, I mean, looking back now, when you, when you listen to the conversation, um, you, you know, you wonder like how confident he was like, you know, uh, that this was going to work. I mean, mm-hmm. when you, when you, like he seemed to be quite, I, I don't know if it's, I wouldn't say down in the dumps, but, you know, there wasn't a whole lot of confidence that they were going to be able to fight their way out of this or they were necessarily even going to be able to get into a position of strength to negotiate an acceptable peace. Yeah, I mean, I got the impression from them that they were kind of grasping at straws some of the conversations. Dowdall is obviously trying to, you know, jig him up a bit, his, his humour. Now, he is grieving for his brother. There's no doubt about that. It's, it's only weeks since he's buried him and... Uh, you know, he's obviously feeling that. But Dowdall is sort of trying to say to him, look, the best thing ever was those yokes that were used. I think I can't remember whether he refers to the guns or the yokes that were used, meaning those AK-47s that they sort of threw um, a little bit of confusion into the mix of the Regency. And that was a great idea. And he's he's the whole time sort of telling him that he's very clever. And, you know, it's like as if he's dealing with somebody maybe with a little touch of the the blues. Um. I'm just so the date of that is the 7th of March. All this happens. Yeah. 7th of March. So the next murder. Sorry. And I'm just Googling this while we're talking was Noel Kingsize Duggan is killed on the 23rd of March. Two weeks later. Yeah. Another, you know, close pal of, of, of Jerry Hutch. So obviously any hopes of anything, uh, you know, being brokered is dead and gone within two weeks of this conversation. 
Yeah, and I, I look at at that stage. I mean, I mean, there was a little bit of of like it wasn't all doom and gloom. There was there was a bit of banter. They were talking about um, uh, Patsy Hutch, his brother, um, having been ha- having been forced to hand over a phone by the guards, and they were criticising for for giving the code, saying that um, if he hadn't given the code, and the guards had to you know you know jailbreak the phone to get the information, that the the information wouldn't be admissible in court, and so he was saying, oh, I wouldn't give him that the. the the, the code and they started talking about I think there was an FBI case at the time where they were trying to get I think one of the San Bernardo shooters um, and their iPhone was locked and the FBI were saying look we need a backdoor into this and Apple were refusing so this is going through the courts at the time and they were discussing this um, and then they were <clears throat> he was kind of uh, they were talking about you know they get into the phones and you know the guards I bet you they'll, they blackmail people in the past this is a line that Jerry Hutch was saying and then they started joking about it, saying like, you know, what are you trying to hide? And you just say, oh, I pretend it's a brasser or it's one of my boyfriends on the phone. And they had a good laugh about this, you mm-hmm. know. But then, you know, so I mean, they, they were talking about um, saying, God, it would be a great excuse then you'd be able to get rid of the wife and everything, you know. And they were having, you know, a good, a good lads banter, I suppose, about that at this stage, you know. Yeah, they loved that word brasser. There's a few words, choice words they love, actually, in fairness. There's a lot of uh, language and some words that were used certainly when I was in course, that you wouldn't even repeat them. Like, you know, just so on PC that they wouldn't be language that we could use even while repeating what was read into the court record. But yeah, they love they love a little bit of a brazzer, a, a, a lady of the night and um, uh, lots of Fs and Cs. And yes, there's, there's some, I suppose it's just, um, as Donald Trump called it, uh, you know, locker room banter or locker room language, you know. <laughs> Land cruiser. Yeah. Uh, Actually, interestingly, uh, Hutch on the day before, sorry, the so it's just, I'm saying the day before, but of course this is just in the process of one conversation in, in one journey. He actually previously had been talking about his wife, his own wife, and he was sort of saying that uh, she never stands beside him. Basically, they, you know, if there's photographers around anywhere, I suppose, you know, he would have been at public events in his day and, um, Myself and Niall were only talking recently there. He was would have been at the opening of the Bernardo's charity there in, in Dublin One and various things like that. I think he donated monies to to charities and to sports clubs and all and would have been at these events. But he said he never would have had his wife. So nobody knows what she looks like, basically. And of course, Dowdall agrees. Oh, nobody knows what Trisha looks like. And But her, he, he just, his, his wife, Trisha, just seems to have an opinion on everything and be involved in everything. He, he quotes her willy-nilly throughout his time but he seems to be somebody that doesn't like silence yeah no i mean in fairness he was doing most of the talking on the on the snippets you know on certainly the hour i heard i mean he, he goes into the whole like when he's trying to when he when he's trying to reassure jerry hutch that the ira aren't going to play both sides um you know you know he, he's he, he, he's saying oh you know i actually hate Sinn Féin, do you know that he said he said they're the one and the same of the the, the the provost and jerry hutch asked him well, well then what's we so this is the character, you know, this wee person that you were talking about. So and he explains his wee's in ex-provo, but he doesn't believe in the peace process. And then to explain like their point of view, he starts saying like, well, they all say, you know, Michael Collins is a traitor. And I used to have this painting of Michael Collins and someone would come in and say, what you do with that bleeding traitor on the wall? You know, and so he was trying to say like, how could, you know, he was making the argument, how could a great man like Michael Collins be a traitor to the country, you know? And uh Jerry Hutch is saying, well, you know, the, the, the Republican movement just seems to be getting weaker and weaker, which I think speaks to what we were talking about, that he did have a good sense of, you know, where the Kinnahans were in the scheme of things and in relation to the to the, the armed Republican movement, where they were. So that does look mm. like 
you know, he, he had a clear, you know, kind of idea of the playing pitch he was on. And, you know, John Dowdle goes on about, you know, it's as rocky as fuck, the relationship between Sinn Féin and the, and the Provost. And uh, he was saying, you know, there's been, you know, there, there's even threats being made to former, you know, IRA figures by, by dissidents. Um, and then he goes into this whole spiel about, you know, using community vigilantes as a way to build up, you know, he says you do it in a couple of years and, you know, people get a following and they don't even know why they're kind of following you now because, you know, you, 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 you have people to build up political support. But, you know, but he said it'd be very important you know, like to have proper rules in your vigilante gang, like no kneecapping of young fellas and you don't want toe rags getting involved. Um, and he said Sinn Féin was like that, you know, in, in terms of building up their parents, but they've lost sight of that. And, you know, Jerry Hutch points out, you know, well, the likes of Bertie, you know, had been telling them they had to cut all ties with the Republican movement. And then the, he got later on in the conversation, you know, that Dowdle is kind of, he's talking about sort of, you know, the, the, the kind of the fanatical, you know, armed Republican. Um, and, he, and he's saying there's nothing worth a child dying, but those those stupid C word don't even don't even see that. You know, and, and he suggests then as well that Sinn Féin should have done more for some of the, the provisional IRA, um, the killers and, you know, the people who are involved in some, you know, pretty nasty stuff that they should have paid for their counselling and they should have done more for them. And there's loads of these ex-provos and gangs now, so what he's saying is that they're, and they're shunned by the Republican movement. Um, and then, and this is where he comes in, he talks about, this is where he suggests then the likes of we, uh, you know, are seen as God. And he says, you don't see that in Sinn Féin until you're actually involved in it that you know everything these do everything you know that these you know mythical ira figures is is just accepted and he, he obviously you know just obviously goes back to his own kind of short-lived career as a, a dublin city councillor and as a member of Sinn Féin, which i think it's around this time that he resigned isn't it in, in, in march 2016 mm. do you think he's had i mean anything he's had to say about mary lou McDonald, everyone gets very excited when you know, you hear Mary Lou or Mary coming up in the tapes. And I mean, simply previous to that, he seems to have said that she took money from the Hutches and took their votes, but then didn't show up at Eddie Hutch's funeral. And I mean, all politicians could be accused of that kind of thing, couldn't they? Um, do you think there's any damage done there to her or to Sinn Féin or to in any of this? I, 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 I don't know. I don't think so. I mean, I know some of our political colleagues have been making the point that she hasn't paid back, I think up until recently anyway, she hadn't paid back a, a thousand euro um, donation that came from Jonathan Dowdle. But I mean, you know, at that stage, Sinn Féin were, were growing their party very fast. You know, there was that phrase that came out, you know, they're a mile wide, but only an inch thick, you mm. know, and that, and then, you know, and some, and, and there was a lot of these kind of uh, newly elected local authorities, Sinn Féin councillors, well, not a lot, but there was quite a few who ended up, you know, getting kicked out of the party and there was accusations of bullying. So I'd say there was a, a, an element, there was a lack of quality control, possibly from one side of it. And then I think the other side of it, the accusation, um, I think, levelled by some of the the, the of the other politicians and by some political commentators is that Sinn Féin is controlled by this, you know, the secret army council of the IRA are still pulling the strings and that they're not a genuinely democratic party and that it's all a single voice. Um, mm. And we don't know who that is, and it's not Mary, Mary Lou McDonald. So, look, I'm just putting just two sides of the argument. I'm not yeah. going to get into that. No. Don't particularly want to get piled on on Twitter. No, nor I. I just wondered because, and really, anyway, it's only a conversation between obviously a disgruntled former Sinn Fein member, it's his opinion, and Jerry Hutch's opinion, Jerry Hutch being on trial for murder. He did make, make some sort of a comment at one point when he was talking about 
who would come in as a mediator in this peace process between the Kinnahans and the Hutches. And he suggested they needed somebody like Jerry Adams um, that, you know, was just thrown out. But, you know, I mean, I could make that comment and it doesn't mean anything. So yeah, I just wondered, I just noticed a lot of this sort of uh, some of the journalists were getting very uh, excited about the mentions of, of the Shinners and, and Mary Lou. But it was really there was very little to it, I thought. Yeah, and I don't think any. I don't think there's any going to be any political fallout for yeah. Sinn Fein. Yeah. I mean, they've, they're. I, I think everything about Jonathan Dowdle and his connection and his involvement in Sinn Fein has been well aired at this stage. Mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. and I mean, if it, if it, and, and I suppose that the only thing that has stuck a little bit is this one thousand euro donation. But I mean, in in the light of things, it's it's not the biggest issue. At no, all. no, it seems to be small small enough as well. Um, so, and what else did you come out with there? Well, there was this, you know, there's this, you know, in the kind of the rambling conversation, like every so often it would die down, they'd come back again. And so I think, you know, after they were joking about how they'd get rid of the wife by lying about what was on their mobile phone and the wife would leave them, they, they, they were talking about when the um, the IRA, the three IRA people were killed by the SAS. Um, <clears throat> I think it comes back to this whole idea that he was hoping that, you know, the I don't know how they got onto it, but they were talking about, you know, he's hoping that, you know, Sinn Féin would get into government and they'd send out their own hit squads. Um, and they, he, they were talking about um, how, how, you know, uh, things from Raiden McGuinness, Sean um, Savage, and I can't remember now, and, and they, were mur- they, were, they were shot dead by the SAS, Danny McCann, I think was the other one. Yeah. Um, and they, they were talking about it and, you know, they were saying that the SAS, you know, they didn't have to shoot them. Um, Jerry Hutch says, well, if I was in the government, I would have done the same. They would have probably killed 10 or 12 soldiers. You know, there's this military parade there every day. And uh, he says but they went in a country, they're red hot, you know, obviously that they were, they were under surveillance. And they kind of joked about, well, I don't know if they were joking, but he's talking about, you know, we could have done that. And they wouldn't have known where there would be across the border in Portugal or whatever in no time. And um, he was talking about, you know, how he said, oh, you know, how Mairead Farrell then got into it. This is Jack Dowdle talking to Jerry Hutch. And she, and she, was, not, she was a good looking woman as well. He mentions he just casually throws that in. Um, but uh He's kind of like Jerry Hutch again, just to show you kind of his breath. You know, he says he says that the reason they would have been the SAS were able to target them, he says, because the likes of steak steak knife and that. That's obviously you know Scapatici. He, he mentions like you know he says oh, the fellow with the Italian name. I hope I got it right there. <laughs> um, and you know, and and he was also talking about you know Carmen uh, Proetta, who's the woman who actually, if you remember, she I think she she managed to take pictures or even film some of it, and she was the witness to say. You know, the three IRA people were killed in cold blood and that the, the, the soldiers would have had an opportunity to arrest them. They weren't armed. And she was smeared by the papers. Um, there was, there was, this is now, this is what Jerry Hutch is saying, that she was smeared by the papers. They were calling her a prostitute and she sued the papers, got half a million. It was a, just a general chit-chat, you know. Mm, mm. Um, and then, they, then they went back into phone encryption and pretty good, and you know, PGP. And they were talking about, oh, well, you can't actually, you can't, you can't connect to another phone. It seems like he's actually reading something. He's after Googling there and then. Well, you know, on the journey, and he kind of he says, you know, questions I, li- I like to find out for myself. So he's there, he's doing a little bit of research on different ways of trying to send, you know, encrypted emails. And, you know, because they, they'd been talking earlier about, you know, how he, he um, Jonathan Dowdle says, you know, he, he, has a, he has a phone, he changes the chip in it every night and he hides it. And, and, and this is, of course, when they went back in then to the whole thing about, uh, about the iPhones you know, being being cracked by the, the FBI in the US. Mm. So it, it's just, it, it's a kind of a random, it's a, it's a random chit-chat, I think, between two fellas, like well, going back. Earlier, they had been talking about these encrypted emails and um, Jonathan Dowdall, like Jerry Hutch, sort of like all of a sudden, you know, again, 
because you're only getting while they're in the car for the 10 hours or whatever. They've obviously had loads of conversations before this. And sometimes they pick up something. You, you feel like you're being dropped into the middle of a conversation, but they've obviously spoken about it before. So Hutch turns around to Dowdall at one point and sort of says to him, why did you leak that story to the journal? And Dowdle says, what? And he says, to the journal, why did you leak that story? I'll see if I can find my notes on this amongst the reams of pages I have. And I definitely from memory know that um, Dowdle basically says to him, um, yeah, I gave it to the journal because it's political. And if you gave it to the crime correspondents, it wouldn't be seen as political. So that's pretty basic. But he's given this story to the journal and somebody's come back to him and sort of said, will you leave it with me for a few days and I'll try and get onto it. There's no suggestion what this story is about, but it kind of comes in in the middle of conversation about Mary Lou MacDonald and about how she should have attended the Eddie Hutch funeral and that she should have spoken up for Jerry Hutch when she got some opportunity on television. Um, and he says that. And then Jerry Hutch talks about uh, encrypted emails and how a named individual who would be a younger, much younger associate of his was helping him set up these encrypted emails and that he was quite happy with them because the they'd show your IP address has been in Canada. You know, the way you can scramble these encrypted um, proton mail and all these things, which we get ourselves often. I was just, my ears pricked up about it because I was wondering, were they sending stuff out to the media and these encrypted emails or were they communicating with one another I wonder when Hutch was away was it seen as a safe way to chat well, it'd be a way to try and hide you know the source of the email so that somebody wouldn't necessarily be able to trace it back and say yeah. you know this came from Jonathan Dowdle's house <clears throat> which if you use your own email or whatever I mean depending yeah. on what way you do it they can get the, the, the I think the internet service provider number or whatever and you can kind of narrow it down well some people can it's, it's possible to do it it's unlikely ordinary journalists, to be honest, like ourselves, would necessarily be able to do that. And if it, like you can manipulate, if you can get someone to actually click on a link and stuff like that, and if you set them up for it on a website and say, click on this, you might be able to mm. trace them back. There's, there, there are ways of doing it. So maybe that was just in their head that this is the way it won't be traced back to us. And, you know, they were just using, um, I think, whatever they're called, you know, it's just different ways of, of you know, hiding a VPN. Mm. It's a different way of hiding what the country of your origin. A lot of people are, are, are familiar with it. If they want to look at Netflix USA, they use a, 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 a VPN so that they can make fool the Ooh. Netflix into thinking they're you're watching it from the US. Know that. If you had a, there you go. You need to talk to your teenagers more often. <laughs> <they play. laughs> yes, I should really. Well, I don't know. It's like sort of trying to talk to somebody in a nursing home with me with these things, but... There was other, um, just actually before they got onto the hour today, there was um, uh, there was a guard of witness called because I think she it was mentioned that she had a bereavement and that they asked permission to allow her to give evidence to, to let her get away. And uh, <clears throat> and she, she was actually uh, uh, Janice Byrne. She was part of the Balbriggan detective unit. So she was seconded in just to, well, not just to, but she, she was seconded in to um, type up the transcripts of these recordings. And so there was a couple of, she was explaining um you know, who she'd met, the late Colin Fox, and it was explained to her, um, like, what they wanted to do. And she was handed uh, a laptop at the, for the first recording from one of the NSU, one of the National Surveillance Units guards, known as AQ. Um, and she wrote up the first Did one. Did she say when she was given this? Yeah, there was, there was dates given, uh, to be honest. Um, okay. And she was talking, I think it was, it, it was like the 21st of April is, is one date I've, I've noted down. In 2016? In in. in 
in 2016, yes, uh, yeah, in February, yeah, she, she, she it was February 2016. She was made aware um, that David Byrne investigation, you know, had something that they wanted to meet her about. So this is when she was called in. Now there was one one tape, one recording came in first, and then there was four others later, and so there was a big a bit of back and forth then with the with the defense counsel over this, um, and uh, you know she was confirming that she wasn't NSU that she was local detective. Um, there, there was she, she was she was kind of saying like well you didn't actually put everything in and she says no well there was, there was some of the other conversations where like uh, Trish Dowdle and her kids in the car um, and she said she didn't transcribe any of that. Um, yeah, because the, the warrant wouldn't have covered that. And, and Patrick Dowdle, mm. yeah. And so, and she was asked, why didn't you do it? And she didn't say it wasn't the warrant. She just said it just seemed inappropriate for me really to, 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 to have, have gone to it. So, I mean, she was very much, um, it, it was just, a, it, it was, I suppose it was just kind of the, the kind of the, the ordinary, I suppose, it was, it was just the ordinary kind of everyday work going on behind the scenes in these huge um, investigations. And it, it came out that there was 400 hours of these recordings but a lot, you know, and, and I think there was one kind of uh, remark by one of the lawyers kind of offhand said, yeah, and including hours of, of rainfall. So, I mean, obviously, you know, they were listening. It wasn't necessarily activated when somebody got into the car. It was recording all the time for 400 hours. And they, they managed to pick up then the conversations that went through them. But you'd wonder, and I'm sure this is going to come up in this whole thing, but were they listening live to this thing or what? Because you had 420 hours of recordings is like enormous. And to, for somebody to listen back to that or whatever, like whereas if you're listening live, I'm sure you could find that this conversation was very important. Um, obviously, they have them under surveillance as well. So they know they're in the car. So they'd know to focus on this particular 10 hours um, of audio. Yeah, yeah. Like, I, I don't know. To be honest, I, I wouldn't have a clue yeah. how these things work. I, I imagine that you wouldn't necessarily have live. I think one of the NSU officers that gave evidence earlier did say that, that they didn't have actual, it, it wasn't a live recording <clears throat> and that they, they downloaded afterwards. If memory serves me right. Okay, um, you know, you're probably right. It was There was no live tracking, they said, in the north when the you know, the tracker was on that's the sort of the argument bit um, and, and as you say they, they would have had eyes on the jeep i think all of the time so they'd have known when to mm -hmm. to go look i mean um you know to, and, and actually just got the conversation of what was said in the jeep when someone was in it and mm. not bother with the rest of the time they didn't necessarily need it but obviously then they had to hand over all these to the defense because they existed yeah, I was interested in in um, as well a little bit of stuff that they spoke about. Jonathan Dowdall and Jerry Hutch spoke about Patsy Hutch. Like Jerry Hutch hadn't told Patsy he was home. He hadn't told him he'd arrived in Dublin. And Jonathan Dowdall kind of made a remark to him at one stage. I didn't know what to say to Patsy, so I said nothing. And he kind of went, yeah, yeah, that's kind of the way to keep it like. Um, I think he Dowdall said to him, what will I say to him? Will I say that there's going to be a meeting or something? And he sort of mumbled on. But, you know, Jerry Hutch, whatever else he is, he's he's innocent until proven guilty of, of in, in this case. But, you know, he is known as a master criminal and a very wily character, a very intelligent, trusts few and kept his inner circle very close. It's amazing that Dowdall is in that inner circle isn't it before his brother well looking back yeah it, it certainly is I mean you, well you don't know about the family dynamic mm. I mean and you certainly got the impression that you know if you know his nephew Gary Hutch 
you know, who, whose murder set the whole thing off. He was involved in the drugs trade. And, and Jerry Hutch has, has pretty much always maintained that he's had nothing to do with that element of criminality. So possibly, you know, I don't know, is, is there a family dynamic there that they don't necessarily get on particularly well? Um, and, you know, and we're probably not going to know that, I don't no, think. No, but in his, in, his, in, his sentence, uh, in his sentencing, like before the special criminal court, before Justice Tony Hunt, this is a separate to this Regency trial because, of course, Dowdall was pleaded guilty to this lesser charge of facilitating um, the murder of uh, David Byrne, got the four years, and during his sentencing, his senior counsel, Michael O'Higgins, told... Um, the Justice Tony Hunt and actually put it to a senior investigating officer who agreed with him that um, Dowdall didn't know Jerry, that he was friends with Patsy Hutch because his mother was friends with, or did he know his mother was friends maybe with Jerry Hutch's wife, but he didn't know him at all. He sort of said that uh, he'd nothing to do with the organised crime group he wasn't a member of any organized crime group and he was kind of making out that he was well firstly that he was used by the hutches that he literally only knew patsy because he did a little bit of work for him and he let him use his, his credit card but it seems to be completely at odds with what the relationship we're hearing him having with jerry hutch in this jeep when he's the one that hutch trusts more than his brother well he certainly seems to be the go-between between jerry hutch and you know, the, these various IRA groupings. I mean, and it seems even to, to go beyond that. I mean, at, at once at one stage then, um, Jonathan Daddle says, we'll send away a message tonight or in the morning and I'll see if I can get up to see him another day. And he was talking about, if we can get that guy who tried to get you in Spain, uh, when he's down on Saturday, I'll show him and we'll lead him to it. And he says to Jerry Hutch, then, are you happy with that? And it was a very non-committal sort mm. of, yeah, from Jerry Hutch, which I think is the closest he's come to any kind of a admission of, of being involved in a shooting. Indeed. And the, the the other thing, and maybe finally, or if you have something you want to finish on, but uh, I noticed that Hutch's um, hearing is pretty bad, or certainly he's certainly claiming that. And he mishears a few things at the meeting when they get out in Straban with the uh, the paramilitaries that they meet on the roadside, the four the four guys, and they uh, he gets back into the car and he sort of doubt all says to him, did you hear that? And he said, no, I didn't hear that. And did you hear this? No. And he's a lot of the time saying, what, what? You'd imagine that uh, that could go in his favour, maybe, um, along the way somewhere. Well, you, you often find, um, I certainly notice with some relatives of mine, this selective hearing can develop uh, as you get older. You decide you're not going to hear certain things and you'll hear other things. I, I know exactly what you're talking about. So maybe we should all uh, start to kind of uh, develop a little bit of it uh, in our defence in later life. But look, that's um, that's where we're at with it now. It's going to go into some legal argument, I think, isn't it? And then there's going to be a ruling at some point next week or thereabouts whether or not this stuff is admissible. Because it's so strange. We've heard it all, but it mightn't actually be performed part of the case. Yeah, and, and, and that was what was happening then after lunch today. Um, they, they were straight back into defence counsel. Was, was he, he, I think he kind of outlined some of the, the matters of law. Um, and the first one the point I was going to make was the authorization to book the Dowdle car over, you know, whether or not um, it was done properly. Um, and then, of course, the big thing is that it was outside the the, uh, the state, that the, the bulk of it was outside the state, and therefore it was illegal. And you can't you can't benefit from the fruits of a poison tree, I think is the, the legal terminology that they were using. So 
they're gonna the, the judges will hear these arguments and they'll absorb them and decide then mm. what they're what they're gonna do. Okay. So look, well look, thanks for that. That was interesting. I'm sure that was a, a little bit of a you you might pop down another day, will you? If ordered to do so, yes ma'am. <laughs> right, okay. Listen, thanks a million Eamon. No worries. You've been listening to Crime World, a podcast from Sundayworld.com, produced by Ian Mullaney and edited by me, Nicola Talent. Research assistant is Claude Amini. If you like this show and love true crime, leave us a review. Or why not download the free Sundayworld.com app for lots more stories from Ireland and across the globe.